You're listening to the Ipsos Mori Politics and Society podcast. My name is Lauren Porter. I'm a research manager in Ipsos Mori's public affairs team, and I'll be hosting today's discussion. The focus of today's discussion will be on how our research findings is fed into the recently launched Good Home Inquiry, which we'll introduce in more detail shortly. This research project was commissioned by the Centre for Aging Better, who are a charitable foundation who work to create change in policy and practice across employment, housing, health and communities. I'm joined today by Millie Brown and David Orr. And Millie, I wondered if you wanted to introduce yourself first. Hi, I'm Millie Brown. I'm an evidence manager at the Centre for Aging Better and my role within the Good Home Inquiries, I led and commissioned on all the evidence, which is kind of the final recommendations. Brilliant, thank you. And then David, would you like to introduce yourself? Yes, hi everyone. Um, I'm David Orr and I had the great privilege of chairing the Good Home Inquiry. Aging Better did a fantastic job in providing the evidence that the inquiry team needed to come up with the recommendations for change that no doubt we'll be talking about as we go along. Brilliant, thank you. That's great introductions. So just to start off with, just to give you a bit of background context to this research project, the Centre for Aging Better and the Good Home Inquiry wanted us to explore the lived experiences of people approaching later life who live in homes which don't currently meet their needs. So as part of this project, we spoke to 20 participants aged between 50 to 70 who lived in homes that they felt didn't meet their needs. And we use quite a broad definition here to capture a, a wide range of different experiences that people might have had with their homes. So that was looking at including issues with digital connectivity and the local neighbourhood, as well as physical problems with their homes, such as damp, cold, shortage of space, noise, a lack of natural light and uneven surfaces. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, the aim of this research was to inform the, the recently launched Good Home Inquiry. And I know David is here to talk a little bit about that. So um, I'm just going to pass on over to David now and say, could you give us a bit of an overview of, of you know, what, what is the Good Home Inquiry and, and sort of how did it how did it come about? Well, it came about because uh, the Centre for Aging Better in exploring how to create a world where people live healthy and fulfilling later lives, realised that one of the key parts for older people, as for absolutely everyone else, is whether you've got a warm, safe, dry, comfortable, affordable home to live in. And as we began to look at some of these issues, uh, it became clear that the older you are, the least likely you are to live in a, a warm, secure, dry, safe, affordable home. The, the government has um, a very basic standard that it calls the decent home standard. There are something in excess of 4 million households in England that fail to meet this standard, 10 million people. Uh, the majority of those are owner-occupiers um, and there's very, very little support for owner-occupiers. So we thought we needed to have a look at that. But this was all done in the context of um, a pandemic where we all of us, in a way, had to recalibrate the relationship that we have with our homes. We were living in them far more and the things that we liked about our homes became even more important, more of a, a place of sanctuary. The things that don't work about our homes became much more obvious and much more insistent. And we've all learned from that. And of course, one of the things that we learned collectively is that if you live in a poor quality home that's not easy to heat, that's got damp, that's got mold, that's overcrowded, 
might have trip hazards. All of these things were worse when you were living there all the time. So we know that poor, damp homes are bad for your health. You add a pandemic to that and it just becomes unavoidably clear. We also have the challenge of meeting our international obligations on climate change. The emissions from our homes because of CO2 from the way that we heat our homes and the poor general standards of insulation are a major contributor to global warming. We cannot meet net zero unless we decarbonize all of our homes. So we need a strategy for dealing with that. And when you know that we have an aging population, almost all of whom will live in their own home in the community for all of their lives, not in specialist accommodation, we need to make sure that we have good homes for everyone. And that's why the inquiry was so necessary and why we were so focused on the existing homes, not the new homes. There are plenty of inquiries and commissions that have spoken about that, but a real laser-like focus on how we can improve the quality of the homes that we live in right now. Brilliant. Thank you so much, David. That's really useful. And I also think it's important to, to set the scene of this research was conducted last year in the middle of the, the pandemic or in between the first and second national lockdown as well, which I think is a, a very important point that you raised there. I'd just like to move on slightly now to ask Millie, um, who is was the, the evidence lead on, on this project from the Centre for Aging Better side. Um, I just wondered if you could talk us through your thinking behind the commissioning of this particular piece of, of research and, and research questions and, and how you saw the findings sort of feeding into the, the inquiry. So at core, um, the Good Home Inquiry was kind of labelled as an evidence-based analysis of England's housing policies to determine the causes of and solutions to poor quality of so much our housing. However, that kind of signifies, you know, that we've spent a lot of time looking at policy and being really working with stakeholders in government and outside. However, we wanted to do one piece of work where we really spoke to people who were experiencing poor quality homes and understanding the impact they were having on their self, their physical and their mental health. So at the centre, as I said, the research question of everything was what are the real impacts of poor quality housing on individuals? And beneath that was what are the particular physical issues people face within their homes and how did this affect them? So looking at mental and physical health, but also, you know, what are the fin financial implications for those individuals living in these homes? We really wanted to put individuals at the centre of our work and really kind of portray their voices and make sure actually not only in this good home inquiry, but people outside of it are hearing what's really going on with these people. So as part of that, we looked at what the barriers people face when wanting to make changes to their homes. This mainly focused on financial barriers, but also access to information and advice. And additionally, we wanted to understand you know, not only the individuals having overcoming these barriers, but actually how local and national government are affecting this and it should enable them to move forward. Finally, while this wasn't central to this work, we kind of saw it as an opening to what solutions there are to addressing poor quality homes within England and therefore what the potential policy options are. So we spoke with people that ensuring re people were involved in the solutions drafting as well as key stakeholders across the sector. Lauren, can I... Just add very quickly to that from, from the point of view of the inquiry team. I've been involved in many inquiries over the years with lots of experts. They're, they have an important role to play and we checked with experts in various different areas all the way through this. But I was completely determined that anything that we were doing was being checked back with 
ordinary people living in challenging circumstances. And all the way through the work of the inquiry, we did that. We checked our thinking. We tested it. We tried to make sure that the people whose, whose lives we want to improve were in the conversation and were supportive of what we were suggesting. And I think actually the, the, the work that um, Millie commissioned from Ipsos Mori and, and one or two other pieces of work um, drove new and real understanding of some of the challenges and some of the barriers that people face that we didn't know previously. So I think it has been really important to have that laser-like focus on ordinary people living in homes that don't meet their proper requirements. That's really helpful to know, bro. Thank you. I uh, I actually might um, pick up on something that you mentioned there, David, um, if that's all right. You said, so you said there that... Um, you know, some of the, the pieces of work really shone a light on some on some new issues. Are there any particular ones that you're thinking of there that, that sort of sprang to mind that were potentially a bit more surprising? So I'm not sure about surprising, but for me, what was really interesting was the way people articulated the barriers. So, you know, people would say, well, we know that there are problems in our home, but we love our homes. Uh, and, and that's our starting point, all of us. It's the place where we feel most safe and secure or should be. So we tend to overlook the things that aren't working terribly well because we get used to them. And then we think, well, I don't know how to go about dealing with it. So it, it this isn't just about technical barriers or lack of access to finance, although we explored all of those. It's also about the emotional engagement that people have with their homes and how they feel about what needs to be done. And that, I think, we we threw some real light on. Thank you. That really answers my question. And I think um, it's something that I'll be touching back on in a, in a little bit later. But I think it's also worth mentioning for, for people who potentially aren't aware that um, as part of this piece of research, um, we, were, we were very fortunate to, to put together some some sort of videos of, of people who were taking part in this research. They took part in a two week like online app diary stage where they were uh, talking to us about their homes. And I think just speaking to what you mentioned there, David, about how people were articulating um, the sort of issues that they had. And I thought that that was it was really interesting and fascinating to, to hear it firsthand from participants themselves um, where they were you know visually showing you around their homes and talking them through exactly the the impact that these were having on their mental health and um, their sort of physical health as, as Millie alluded to and yeah so there are there are uh, a couple of published compiled videos of those as well that I just wanted to to say that are available online thank you I'm just going to move on a little bit now so as as Millie helpfully outlined um you know one of the main aims of this project was to understand the the kinds of issues that people were having in their homes and and, and in what ways these were impacting their lives so obviously much more detail is is available in, in the published reports but um for the purpose of this discussion I'll just very briefly summarize the three main issues that people tended to have um in their homes and then I'll come to, to you both to, to talk a little bit about that. So the first related to difficulties staying warm and dry in, in their homes um, due to issues around damp and moulds and heating and insulation. Um, the second uh, concerned accessibility issues when moving around the home um, and that could, that could cover quite a broad range of, of um, different components there. And the third broad theme kind of covered concerns about uh, the safety and security of people's homes. So both in terms of their tenure, but also the, the sort of perceived safety of their homes within the local area. And I'm going to go back to, to yourself, David, and it might have 
touched on things that you've already mentioned, but were any of these um, issues that were uncovered a surprise to you? And, and what, what do we know about the, the sort of wider implications of, of some of these issues that I've just mentioned there? Well, I, I've been working in housing for decades, and I wish I could say that some of these findings were a surprise, but they weren't. They weren't. Truthfully, we've had a whole range of research projects into the quality and fabric of people's homes, into the kind of issues about the relationship between your home and your state of health, the things that cause people, particularly older people, to have hospital visits, like trips and falls where there are unnecessary hazards. I think the thing that was different in this inquiry and, and the work that we did was that we we weren't trying to do primary research about the fabric of the building and the technical issues. We were trying to do primary research about how people felt in their homes and the impact of these things. But I, I, I really, after all this time um, working in housing, I still think it is a disgrace that every year we talk about a winter spike in deaths as though it was an inevitable consequence of the world. It's not. It is a consequence of the fact that too many people live in homes that they cannot afford to keep warm and dry. That's precisely why we have that winter spike. And it's not a historic issue. It's an absolutely present day issue. And we should be ashamed of the fact that we've allowed that to happen for year after year after year after year. Thank you, David. And I know that that is very much comes out in, in the, the inquiry write-up as well that you've spoken about well there. And I just wanted to touch on something that you mentioned earlier, David, um, that, that the point around, you know, when we were initially speaking to, to participants at the start of the, the sort of research phase, they were tending to speak broadly positively about their homes and potentially, you know, unsurprisingly, especially given um, the time that this research was set, as you said, in, in the, the middle of the pandemic, where we were spending a lot of time at home. And I'll quickly sort of go through um, what the research kind of uncovered there about the reasons behind this. The, the sort of main themes that came out here were, um, unsurprisingly, participants' very strong emotional attachment to their homes, um, you know, specifically the sort of time and effort and money that they'd invested in these, and they could they they spoke at length about about this. And also another theme that emerged was people not wanting to think about negative future scenarios too much, even in the face of challenges that they were facing. And related to this, there were, there were several participants that spoke about um, how they didn't feel old enough to to start thinking about the future and any adaptations that they, they may need to make in their homes. That wasn't something that they felt they were at a point in their lives to, to start addressing and thinking about. Um, and also limited awareness of the potential health implications of issues that they may have had in their homes. And as Millie mentioned earlier, we were also tasked with sort of understanding the barriers that pe that people saw to addressing the issues in, in their homes. And again, uh, sort of simplified summary here, but that these tended to, to comprise of Lack, lack of finances and financing options to be able to to address the issues that they they were experiencing. Also, the housing tenure played uh, a role. So, you know, as as David actually mentioned earlier, you know, renters um, felt more restricted in in what they could do um, in their homes. And finally, sort of an overall lack of confidence and knowledge and knowing how and where to seek support. So, I just wanted to um, ask. David, um, what did you, the, these research findings, what did they mean for 
the inquiry and how were they used to develop the inquiry recommendations specifically, if you were able to speak to that? So they, 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 it's a very good summary um, of a lot of input and a lot of output. We had an awful lot of things to consider actually as we were going through this process. Let, let me pick up on a couple of things there. The, the comment about people not feeling old enough. You know, that's that's a really interesting question because so much of this is about how you frame the question. If you say, do you think your home needs adaptations? That sells all kinds of alarm bells ringing because adaptations are what you do to old people's houses. If you say, would it be helpful if we could improve the wiring in your home or if it was a warmer house that you were living in and you just needed to spend a bit of money to get um, a better heating system. These aren't adaptations, or at least they're not in the popular imagination. These are just doing sensible things to make your life more comfortable. And so much of this, and we were very conscious of this, is about the words that we use to describe things. And, and it's so easy to have this conversation as though we are talking about others. And what I was determined to ensure all the way through was that we all needed to understand that we're talking about ourselves. I am in that age group, so it was easy for me, much more difficult for Millie, who's at the start of her career, but I'm sure Millie and you and everyone listening to this have these thoughts about their homes all the time. What could we do to make this a bit better? And at some points in your life, that might be about getting a better kitchen in or putting a conservatory on if you have the chance to do it. But as soon as you begin talking about adaptations for older people, the hackles go up and wait a minute, that's not me. I'm still reasonably fit and healthy. So getting the language right was something that informed, I think, all of the work that we did and the way that we wrote the report and um, came up with the recommendations. Brilliant, thank you. That was one of the, the points that I wanted to ask you specifically, David, there. And I just wondered if there was anything else that you wanted to add on that the sort of first point that was raised around participants, sort of very strong emotional attachments that they did have to the home and, and thinking about how that might have fed into some of the development of the inquiry recommendations there. Well, again, it's something that's very important to, to take proper account of because so much of the conversation is based on, on kind of technical issues. And that's not really how we think about our homes. One of the things that I have to confess I was pleased about was that most of the respondents did feel that very strong, warm, emotional attachment to their home. Because one of the things that we know is that there are people in our society who do not feel that attachment, who don't feel that they're safe in their home, who feel that actually their lives are at some threat. And it's easy to kind of pigeonhole that and say, again, that's about other people. But, you know, at the point in March of 2021, where the highest number of people I think were shielding, there were more than 4 million people. The assumption there is that you shield at home because that's a safe place. If your home is overcrowded, it's not a safe place. If you are someone who's experiencing violence in the home, it's not a safe place. And those things become exacerbated in that kind of, you know, having to be in your home all the time. If you have no outdoor space, 
it's not a safe place. So people are emotionally attached to their home because of the things that happen in it and the lives that they lead. But they're also very clear eyed about the ways in which their lives could be better. If only we had a bit more space, if only we were a bit better connected, if only we had an extra bedroom, those kinds of things. We all want the same things from our homes and we don't describe it technically. What we say is we want light, we want space, we want our home to be flexible and adaptable. We want to be able to have visitors come to see us. We want to feel connected to our neighbours. We want to be digitally connected. That's what we all look for. And, and thinking about addressing some of these barriers, you know, it, it, was there anything else that you wanted to mention about some of the barriers that we did uncover could be addressed going forward, thinking about development of, of um, interventions or policy change going forward? Well, we asked, we asked Millie about some of this as she was um, reporting on the evidence. And M Millie, um, were, there, were there things from your perspective that, that you thought were really um, kind of most important that we incorporated into the report? So as we know from the research, one of the biggest barriers was access to information and advice. And we found that whilst people, there might have been locally available information, it wasn't tailored for all audiences and whether that be from because of a language perspective and accessibility perspective. And we found actually that people that do have the resource, for example, to carry out repairs, whether that be financially, but actually they weren't able to do so because they weren't didn't have the information to carry that through whether that be actually knowing what's wrong within the home to actually appointing someone to carry out the repairs. So for me, the biggest thing actually we need to address and also actually this already exists in local areas, but we need to provide resource and help them develop to really access the people they need to and provide the information and advice that will make such a big difference to addressing poor quality homes within England. And, and, and there were lots of barriers that people identified. Uh, one of the things that we heard time after time was, I'm really anxious about letting contractors into my house because people have not so much experienced but heard so many tales of cowboy builders, a phrase that we heard over and over again. So whether the reality is that, people's expectation is that if you let folk into your house and you don't really know them and they've not come vouched by anyone else, you're exposing yourself to significant risk. And I completely understand that. So we had to think about that. And the way that we crafted the recommendations, um, at the heart of it was creating a network of agencies, we call them good home agency, across the country that can be a trusted intermediary so that if you've got any issues or questions about your home, you can go to the Good Home Agency and you can ask, how do I get a check on this? How do I commission the work that needs to be done? Where might I find the finance? How can I be sure that there are the people who, you, who come into my house I can trust? Those were the kinds of barriers that people wanted some assistance with. Brilliant, thank you. And th that was also something that I was going to, to pick up on specifically, so appreciate it. Um, and just before we move on, is there anything else that either of you would like to mention about any of the other barriers that were uncovered and how those were informed any of the inquiry development and recommendations? I think one that we've discussed a lot and it's a concern for everybody in the sector is the issue of finance. Unfortunately, through the Good Home Inquiry, we weren't really able to kind of nail down exactly what that product will look like moving forward, incorporating the whole sector, whether public and private. However, we were able 
to kind of showcase some really good examples of local financial support um, throughout the UK, including one Lendology, which did a case study on, which is absolutely amazing. But I think the main thing is for the Good Home Inquiry, it doesn't stop now. And the next steps are to really kind of work with leaders in the sector, public and private, as I said, to kind of either, you know, develop new innovative products for financial, whether that be specific for older people, or actually just kind of scaling up and providing more resource for existing products to help address the issue of poor quality homes and the lack of available financing for people to be able to do so. And just um, before we move on, there was another point that I mentioned earlier, one of the um, sort of reasons behind um, certain people's potential reluctance to, to potentially see um, some of the, the issues that they might have been experiencing or have these top of mind, um, which was around their sort of potentially limited awareness of, of the health implications of some of the issues that they might have had in their homes. And I just wanted to to, to come back to, to yourselves about what did this um, finding and, and in what ways did this sort of finding inform some of the, the inquiry recommendations? So I, I think from an inquiry point of view, what it did was reinforce for us the, the kind of centrality of understanding that people have a kind of vague disquiet about something, but don't quite know what the scale of it, the scope of it. They don't really know who to ask about it. So the temptation, and I fear we all do this, the temptation is to say, that's too hard. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to kind of package it away and try to ignore it. And most of the time that's fine. And then something happens that, brings you kind of face to face with it again. And that's why, as I've already suggested, at the centre of our recommendations is the need for there to be a place that people can go where they can say in a safe, trusted environment, I don't really understand this and I need some help to understand it. And I, I, again, I'm at pains to say that this isn't about, you know, some poor people who struggle, most of us live in homes all of our lives and have not the faintest idea how they work and not the faintest idea how they were built or what's going on behind the walls or what to do. Uh, honestly, I bet if you asked the population at random, half of us would say, no, I don't know where the main stopcock is. You know, we are, we are unbelievably ignorant about the homes that we live in. So doing something that helps people to, to be less ignorant and to feel safe about how they ask the question. That seems to me to be a really important part of what we want to do. And I think to add to that, the great thing about this particular research we did alongside you is it kind of really showed us how spending a bit of time with people and talking to them about the issues their homes will have on their health. By the end of the project, people were so better educated. So it really shows the value. It just takes a little bit of work to really kind of get people up to scratch and it completely changes their mind on how they want to address the issues in their home. Yeah, I definitely echo that, Millie, as well. That was something from our perspective as researchers as well picked up on as well, having speaking to, to 20 people over the course of um, just over a month, I think. They, they actually spoke to us at length about just having that concentrated time to engage with some of these sort of issues that they might not have been thinking about or might not have been necessarily top of mind for them um, because it was their daily lived reality. Yeah, exactly as you say, Millie, just having a bit more time to to think about that in a bit more depth 
felt they felt a bit more confident to to know if not where to go just how they were going to be thinking about this slightly more differently and, and a lot of them actually spoke about how taking part in this research was a bit of an instigator for, for that way of thinking which was really sort of valuable and interesting to see from our perspective. So I'm just going to move on now and I'm going to ask uh, this question to David. What role do you think the, the government has to play in improving our homes rather than, than individuals? Yeah, it's a really important question this because I think all of us understand whether we're owner occupiers or renters, whatever our tenure status is, we all understand that we have our own level of responsibility for looking after our homes. And government thinks we have our own responsibility for looking after our homes. The difficulty is that I think that government has a collective responsibility and government doesn't seem to agree with that at the moment. And this thing about the collective responsibility, if you think about these 24 million homes, they are individual to us all, but they are a vast collective national asset, a really critical part of our national infrastructure. And if we get this part of our national infrastructure right, then we will have fewer demands on the health service. People will be better able to make the most of educational opportunities. There will be fewer people living in overcrowded, unsafe homes. The potential benefits to the economy are huge. There is an enormous potential new industry that's at the very early stages of growth about investing in greener technologies, in decarbonising our homes, but generally improving the underlying quality of our existing homes. And that's why we've said that we think government has to have a long-term strategy. Actually, we need a long-term housing strategy that incorporates both new build and existing homes, and we don't have it, and we suffer by not having that. And we think that there should be a cabinet minister who has overall responsibility for the, the, the nation's approach to our existing homes. I think government has a leadership role to play here. I think government has a pump priming role. And for a small number of people, I think government does have a, a kind of obligation to help with finances. But I think with the right strategic envelope, working with government, we can unlock tens of billions of pounds worth of private investment that wants to come into this environment but doesn't have a route in. And that's why I think a strategic engagement by government in, in this is really critical because I think it will unlock new jobs, new opportunities, billions of pounds of private investment in making all of our lives better. That is a huge prize. And that feeds on nicely to, to my follow-up question to you, David, which is, you know, as well as COP26 happening recently, the government has recently published its heat and building strategy and net zero paper. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, how do wide-scale home improvements tie in with the, the recently announced policies and strategies there? I had the, again, the privilege of chairing a session in the UN-controlled part of COP26 um, in, the, in the Blue Zone. Uh, which I know engaged with people all around the world. And I was very pleased about that because it was specifically about decarbonizing our homes. 
And the, the, the focus was not on trying to persuade people of the need. I thought, this is COP26. We shouldn't have to persuade people of the need. It was saying there are things that we can do and there are they are in place in different countries around the world. We know how to do this. We need to make it bigger. We cannot, as I said at the start, meet our, our climate change obligations without decarbonizing our homes. And yet, in the two weeks of COP, that was the only session in the blue zone that was specifically about homes and buildings and, and the strategy for that, the only one. And I think we have to do more to get people to waken up to the fact that investing in decarbonizing isn't just a kind of out there government responsibility. It's something that creates warmer, drier, easier to heat, easier to cool homes and that individuals benefit, benefit from as well as the whole nation benefiting from. And the heat and building strategy was frustrating in the same way. It properly recognises the nature of the problem. There is now no argument about the challenge. Is it strategic? Not very. Is it? Does it suggest a real, a real understanding of the scale and a, a, a huge push by government to make the change no, it doesn't. It really doesn't. There are some useful measures in it, but you know, it's like blowing a dart into an elephant's hide. It's a pinprick. It's not something that's going to make the elephant go rampaging through the jungle. Um, and I just wanted to to go back to thinking about the the Good Home Quarry itself, and I'll direct this question to Millie. Would you mind talking us through as one of our sort of final questions? So, what are the next steps for the Good Home Inquiry then? And, and David, obviously, feel free to, to jump in as well. Thanks. Um, so, I guess making it clear, first of all, that the Good Home Inquiry launched its final report um, entitled Good Homes for All, a proposal to fix England's housing um, September just gone. And obviously, within that, I really encourage people to look at that because it discusses everything we've done in a lot more detail, especially the recommendations we have for national government, local government, and also on an individual level, what we think people can do at this point. But specifically, you know, as David set out, said, we want a long term strategy for government. And specifically within that, at the moment, we're kind of focusing on the decent home standard. Um, we want to we're calling for an enhanced and enforceable standard and, and that's upcoming review. So, so within the decent, decent home standard review, um, ageing better as the findings from the inquiry, we want to include that actually the standard now applies to all tenures. In particular, we wanted to make sure it can regulate the PRS. It does have the highest number of non-decent homes. We also want there to be a requirement of an accessibility standard and an inclusion of data standards and broadband connectivity. And I know that we are working with the department to kind of make sure they are enforced within the new standard. Um, and specifically taking forward ageing better as well with the Good Home Inquiry, we have outlined um, three themes. So I did briefly discuss earlier, but the finance working group, so we want to work with key players in the finance sector, both the public and private. Um, so we will aim to either develop innovative products or scale up existing products. And we're currently in the process of setting that up. So secondly, I want to talk about the Good Home Guide. So this is kind of our vehicle for reaching consumers. As I said, um, a lot of individuals do have a part to play in improving the quality of their homes, those that have the um, viability to do so. So therefore, we're developing a guide in which it will kind of outline what you can do to improve your home, why you need to do it, um, particularly looking at the improvement of this will have on your health. 
And finally, uh, David talked a lot about the Good Home Agency. This is kind of central to our solutions. Um, and we found throughout the Good Home Inquiry, this had a lot of support at every level. So as part of a way of piloting this, we're working with um, Lincolnshire County, which is a strategic partner of Ageing Better, to develop a pilot to kind of show how this might work practically. At the moment, we're in the design stage, um, looking to pilot next year. And I see we kind of see this as a mechanism not only to create changes in Lincolnshire, but to show how this can be developed throughout the UK and actually make sure that we don't only create new systems, we actually develop on what already works, bring it together and therefore build a stronger infrastructure locally to address the issue of poor quality homes. If I might just add very quickly, I mean, the, the, the Good Home Inquiry is finished. It is now what happens with those recommendations. And Millie is right to say that the central recommendation is a good home agency in, in every local area. We had a, a lot of very, very positive with uh, discussions with senior people in local government. Uh, and there's a lot of support for this idea. And I think what we need to do is really get a campaign running so that all across the country, people are saying, I want a good home agency in my area. Thank you so much both. Um, it sounds like a really exciting time. It sounds like there's a lot of momentum behind it and it's been really interesting and, and fascinating speaking to you both and personally being able to, to talk through how our research findings have, have fed into this important piece of work. So I very much appreciate um, both of your time that you've given to today and for coming along today. Thank you.